hear about a story called the Jerusalem Council, and you'll understand uh, where we are in, in, in that place as we go on. So it says, some people came down from Judea to Antioch, teaching the family of believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom we've received from Moses, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas took sides against these Judeans and argued strongly against their position. The church at Antioch appointed Paul, Barnabas, and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and the elders. The church sent this delegation on their way. They traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, telling stories about the conversion of the Gentiles to everyone. Their reports thrilled the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, and the elders all welcomed them. They gave a full report of what God had accomplished through their activity. Some believers from among the Pharisees stood up and claimed, the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then? Are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The entire assembly fell quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles through their activity. When Barnabas and Paul also fell silent, James responded, Fellow believers, listen to me. Simon reported how in his kindness, God came to the Gentiles in the first place to raise up for them a people of God. The prophet's words agree with this, as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild what has been torn down. I will restore it so that the rest of humanity will seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who belong to me. The Lord says this, the one who does these things, known from earliest times. Therefore, I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for Gentiles who turn to God. Instead, we should write a letter telling them to avoid the pollution associated with idols, sexual immorality, eating meat from strangled animals, and consuming blood. After all, Moses has been proclaimed in every city for a long time and is read aloud every Sabbath in every synagogue. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. These stories at this point in the book of Acts are nothing less than the turning point of the Christian faith for all time. The question that they're asking is this, is the God of Israel, who made himself known to the people of Israel as Yahweh, is he the exclusive God of Israel alone? Or is the God of Israel the God of all nations who has first made himself known to the people of Israel? That's the questions that we encounter in both Acts 11 and Acts 15 today. It has huge implications because basically most of us wouldn't be here if it weren't for these moments in Scripture. The first problem that we encounter 
is with Peter. And the, Peter gets criticized, right, because they say to him, you went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them. Jesus has been accused about who he ate with in his ministry. Table fellowship, we've talked about, is a huge deal in ancient Near Eastern culture. And so Peter here is laying his life on the line, laying his life on the line for this ministry to the Gentiles. Willie Jennings, the theologian, says that these are the type of questions that Peter's getting asked. Why are you where you are not supposed to be? And why are you in intimate settings with those not of your people and not of your story? Those were the accusations that the Pharisees, that the other Jewish leaders were making against Peter at this time. And so what Peter has to do is retell his vision and what happened in the previous chapter with this Roman centurion named Cornelius. Right, so Peter has a vision from God. In some ways, it's like the vision that Peter saw when Jesus was transfigured in, in the Gospels. But Peter sees this vision of of a sheet coming down out of heaven, and on this sheet are all sorts of animals, all of them unclean. There must be pigs on there, there's reptiles, all things that for a Jewish person in that time were completely unclean. And what Peter hears in that message is an angel saying to him, Peter, get up and kill and eat. For someone who was a Jew by birth and by training like Peter was, that was one of the most offensive things he could hear. And so Peter has to hear that same message from that angel three times in order for it to get across to him. And as he's hearing that message, and after the vision goes away, right at that same time, someone comes knocking on Peter's door at the house where he's staying, saying, there's this man who's calling you a, a Roman centurion, which, by the way, the Romans are the people who've been persecuting the Jews and the early Christians, right? A Roman centurion, and he wants to know how he and his family could be saved, right? So Peter ends up going with, with these men who come and call on him right at the same time to go to Cornelius' house. There, what they find when Peter explains about the work of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit falls upon them just as the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost in the exact same way. And Peter basically says, I know now that God shows no favoritism, that God knows no distinction between peoples. So he says, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. What stops you from being baptized? And he baptizes Cornelius' whole house there. And he stays with them for multiple days. Peter is overstepping the boundaries that have been made in place for him. He's overstepping the bounds of nationality and culture that had been placed in. This was earth-shattering stuff. Peter had to tell them what happened and gave his testimony, gave his experience, because his testimony in this case is all he's got. Peter doesn't have biblical claims to base this experience on. Rather, what he sees in this place is that God is doing a new thing. So Peter says, if God gave them, if God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Friends, the commonality that Peter gets to is no longer this covenant of circumcision that had bound Jews since Abraham, since God gave that covenant to Abraham. Instead, the commonality for them now becomes receiving the Holy Spirit. 
That seems to be the new way that God is working, Peter says. I was in a preaching 101 class in my junior year of college at Indiana Wesleyan University. I was in the type of college, like I've told you, not only where we had required chapel three times a week, but then also I took classes in preaching and things like that. And so I'm I'm in my first class. Think the intimidation of your first communication or speech class plus God, okay? And so, so we're there, we're, we're delivering our first sermon, uh, um, short, short ones in class, and, and Amber gets up to deliver her sermon. Now, mind you, I've grown up in a tradition where women don't hold leadership. I've grown up in a place where women would never do what I'm doing right now and proclaim the word, let alone they wouldn't even be able to be deacons in our church where they could bring the communion elements forward. That's where I had grown up. Amber gets up. She shares the word in that place. And I stood up after she preached because we would give feedback to each other. And I said, I don't know what I believed before, but you are called by God. And there is no question about that calling on your life. And so what I believe has to change, has to shift because of how God is clearly calling you and working in your life. She was the best preacher in the room. She's still a pastor to this day. Now, I believe that in that moment, God was preparing me for some eventual things in my life, right? Because the next year at the Methodist church where I was serving as an intern in Marion, Indiana, we got appointed a new pastor and here she comes, Pastor Kay. And Pastor Kay served as a wonderful mentor to me, showed me what ministry was all about and what life was all about. She's a lot of the reason why I'm a Methodist today. I went on to come to Duke for Divinity School and I met this girl and she didn't really think she wanted to be a pastor, but then it was clear that she had a call on her life and we started praying about that. And lo and behold, my wife, Laura, serves as a pastor today. Not long after that, my sister, uh, who, who grew up in the same tradition I did, would become ordained as a pastor in the Mennonite tradition. And then I would have students who were under me in youth ministry, some of them female, who would be trained into ministry who are now serving as pastors. I think God was doing something new and something fresh in my life to prepare me for these times. I literally felt like Peter did in, in Acts eleven seventeen. Who am I? Who am I to get in God's way of what God is doing? And so Acts continues then when we get up to chapter 15, and we learn about the work that Paul is doing all over the Gentile world. Mind you, the Gentile world really means everywhere else but, but Israel, okay? And Paul and Barnabas are seeing God's grace at work in all of these places. This is when Paul, if you've ever seen like a Paul's missionary map where it looks like someone just drew squiggly lines all over the place, this is when Paul is just going everywhere to try and spread God's word and share it with the Gentiles. And here's the problem that Paul and Barnabas encounter. They've got this church at Antioch. It becomes the place where people are first called Christians, okay? Paul and Barnabas have done extraordinary work in this place. God is doing so much through their ministry and all of a sudden some come up from Israel and they say to them, you know what? Um, these folks among you, they need to be circumcised if they're truly going to be in God's people because that's the way that God has taught us all along. 
This triggers what becomes known as the Jerusalem Council to, get, to gather. It's all the elders, all of the apostles, the leaders of the church everywhere to gather in Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas are sent from Antioch to be the representatives there. Here's the issue that's at place in the Jerusalem Council. Circumcision is a mark of being in God's covenant people. Gentiles can be in, yes, they believe. They're at that point. Gentiles, yeah, they can be in, but they must first conform to the Jewish body. Circumcision was the clear marker of this. It was the demarcator. Gone would be the Gentile, literally cut off, if you will, and here is the new Jewish person. Friends, it's human nature to want to be in, to want to be in the in crowd. It happens to us sometimes in elementary school, definitely in middle school, but then what we find out as we grow up to be adults is that it doesn't go away. So I remember when we first moved to Raleigh and wanting to make sure that we were in amongst our neighbors, that we had a place to fit in. I remember when my kids started at elementary school and wanted to make sure that we would fit in with some of the other parents and also realizing when I picked up my kids in the walker line um, that I was not like the other stay-at-home moms uh, picking up their kids in that place and I didn't really feel like I fit in. And friends, when we want to be in, we shut other people out. When we want to be in, we shut other people out. So Peter shares in this Jerusalem Council meeting what has been going on. He shares his same points that he made when he talked about what happened with Cornelius. And he says, we believe that we and they, the Gentiles, are saved in the same way, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, can you imagine this change in perspective about what makes someone righteous, what makes someone right before God? Peter is pointing out to his fellow Jewish Christians that God's grace has been the undercurrent the whole time. That it hasn't always been just making sure you follow the law just so and doing it right. Rather, God's grace has been the continual activity, and that's what's moving the undercurrent for the Gentiles as well. And then Paul and Barnabas stand up and they give witness to all that God has been doing in their ministry. And the people are amazed by what they hear. And then finally James gets up. Now James at the time is the, is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he gets up, he quotes the prophet Amos about a move towards the full inclusion of the Gentiles in God's kingdom. And when he talks about circumcision, he says, therefore I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for Gentiles who turn to God. I wonder, what would it look like for us to be a church where every single person knew they are welcome as they are? Is there ever a person for whom I am standing in God's way of reaching? By the time of Jesus, it is clear that many Jewish leaders and groups within Judaism had begun to ask the question, who is in? They essentially were serving as border patrol, making the requirements stricter and tighter over time. And we understand how this happens. Over thousands of years, they started to define even tighter, even stricter, who was in God's covenant community and what it meant to be in. And Jesus upset the border patrol all of the time. Jesus advocated for those on the outside of it, those on the margins. And in how he lived and in how he served, he was constantly asking, how can we invite others in? Opening up, widening the borders, 
essentially destroying the borders. Jesus touched the untouchable people. He ate with tax collectors. He talked with Jewish, or sorry, talked with Gentile women. Jesus was outside of the leader's definition of who is in. The leaders were the older brother that Jesus talked about in the prodigal son, that one who is jealous that they're throwing the party for his brother and that he's, that he's been let back into the family after he spurned them. Those Jewish leaders were the worker who started their work faithfully at 8 a.m., jealous of the worker who signed on for the same wage at 4 p.m. and only had to work for an hour. How am I and how are you following the way of Jesus? Are we more like the border patrol of the Jewish leaders, wondering constantly who is in and in turn, really, who is out? Or are we expansive, and generous with our welcome? Are we lavish with our love? Might we never stand in the way of God's gift and God's welcome? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.